Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's show and joining us today, very special guest, Matt O'Dell. And I'm sure many of you have heard of him before, whether you've listened to his own podcast where he co-hosts with uh, Marty Bent on Tales from the Crypt and the Rabbit Hole Recap, or whether you've heard him as a guest on, on other uh, podcasters' episodes. I was really very touched that Matt took uh, so much time out of his day uh, because this this one ended up going far longer than I think either of us were expecting. So I really um, appreciate uh, Matt's time and urge all of you to uh, not fear the length of this one. And um, I'm sure once you get into it, you'll stick with it or you'll come back to it and dip in and out of it. There's so much gold. Um, I, I hope you enjoy it as much as, uh, as I did making it. And uh, Lauren has a good chat with Matt at the beginning, um, a good 10 minutes uh, where they get uh, into some different topics, which was uh, awesome to be a part of as well. Um, I'm sure you can hear in the background the amazing music uh, that is from At Hodler The Now. Keep an eye on what At21ism are doing, guys. Go follow them on Twitter or check out the website, 21ism.com. Let's get into this, but before we do, make sure to start stacking some sats, guys, in a uh, in a risk-free manner. Well, not risk-free. Nothing is risk-free, but in a, in a lower risk manner. And start auto buying. And get over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten if you are in the UK to start stacking sats with uh, the UK's oldest Bitcoin exchange, Bitcoin only exchange. And if you want to learn more about them, go back and listen to my episode with Obi. Uh, let's get into this. Really love this one. Thanks again, Matt. Really appreciate it. Can't wait to meet you in person. Um, and to you guys, thanks so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this uh, this week's show, Once Bitten, with uh, today's special guest, Matt O'Dell. Matt, thank you so much for coming on and spending the time with us. Thank you for having me. It's truly my pleasure. Now, Lauren here, she started with one question, but with a bit of pre-record, I think she's up to about four or five. So I might just hand over the reins. And uh, sit back and, and finish my Bitburger pills. So, um, Lauren, let's lead off. So, one of my questions what I have forgotten. Never mind about that one. Uh, so, um, how do you how do you teach kids about the privacy? Mm. Yeah, pri- privacy. Yeah, interesting question. And to give Matt a little bit of context. Uh, I explained to Lauren that I was coming to speak to a, a guy called Matt O'Dell today that was, um, he, he's very well known in the space for uh, being a privacy advocate. And first question was, what does an advocate mean, daddy? So we went down that rabbit hole. But <laughs> <laughs> And I said, that would be a really interesting question to ask Matt because, you know, Lauren is just nine years old and the internet is going to be completely like their lives. Uh, for me... Full of lies. Mm-hmm, full of lies, exactly. For me at 43, um, I didn't have that in my childhood. I only had that going into my professional career and I fell into the trap of, you know, pretty the much giving out... and stuff. 
giving out all of my data and whatever else throughout um, the last 20 years of my use of the internet. So back to Lauren's original question, Matt, um, what can we do? Um, and what do you think about how we can teach kids about privacy on the internet and for them, you know, as they, you know, come of age? So, I mean, I'm kind of in a similar boat as you, uh, as in I didn't have social media and I didn't have a cell phone growing up. Like I was, I was kind of like the border, you know, I'm younger than you, but um, it didn't really enter my life until I was 15 or 16 or 17 around there. Uh, so this is actually a question that I've wrestled with a lot recently because I plan on starting my own family relatively soon. Uh, and there's, privacy is difficult. In today's age, privacy is very difficult. And it's difficult to explain best practices and create awareness for adults. So it's even more difficult, presumably, uh, for children. Uh, so there's no perfect answer. The, the, the first thing is your dad is doing, I think, very right, is that he doesn't let you use Facebook which I heard in the previous episode. Uh, I don't have any social media accounts except for my Twitter. And my Twitter, I, I don't talk about personal things. I only talk about Bitcoin and privacy. It's all I talk That's about. That's what daddy does. No Snapchat, no Facebook, no Instagram. I Fortunately, I'm in the situation where I don't have to have a LinkedIn. I understand that some people in the professional world have to. But all of these things are, are constantly, their business model is to gather data on you. You are the product. Um, fortunately, we do have these new encrypted messaging services like Signal, where you can have group chats with your friends. So you don't have to be a complete shut-in. You know, you can share things in, in like small group chats of like seven, ten people. Uh, I think that's like a nice balance there. But... You know, it's, it's, it's really something I've wrestled with because at the same time, and obviously you're doing, I, I love that, that you're joining us on the podcast today, um, that your dad includes you in this, because the other side of the equation is we are entering a world that is way more digital, and I don't think the answer is to have your children completely cut off from technology. Like I have, I have uh, well, we call her my aunt, but she's my cousin, uh, and like her kids aren't allowed to, they're not allowed to use the computer. They're like 13 to 16, multiple, she has multiple kids. They're just not allowed to use the computer except for schoolwork for like one hour here, you know, highly structured. And that bothers me as well because, because you're setting them up at a disadvantage. Um, so, I mean, I, my plan is it's just try and be honest and straightforward all the time with your children. But I, I, it's easier said than done. I don't have any. I think I think your dad is probably the better person to ask there, and it sounds like he's doing some things some things very right. So he is doing some things very right, but sometimes he's very annoying when he's doing it because sometimes <laughs> he just chatters on about it. I mean, I'm a chatterbox, but not like this guy right behind me. Well, when you're passionate about something, Lauren, it, it's it's hard to stop talking about it. And yeah. when you meet people um, that are passionate about the same thing as you, it's hard to stop talking about it. And the, the strange thing about Bitcoin is it touches every aspect of someone's life, whether they realize it or not. And um, that that's really interesting. But you, I, I won't 
go into that yet because I think you had another question that you wanted uh, to ask Matt. I got four of them, but I forgot <laughs> two. Okay, so. Um, so when did you find out about Bitcoin? Bitcoin, I discovered Bitcoin in 2012 and I didn't think it could work. Um, I, I, I just, I, it sounded, it's, I mean, part of my friend, it just sounded like garbage. You know, it's, it's, it sounded, it sounded like uh, fairy tales, magic. Uh, so I, I just, I kind of dismissed it. And then I had a second friend tell me about it and he was completely different than the first friend. So I was like, how did these two friends who are completely different, uh, both come together on this one thing, Bitcoin, and, and find it interesting. Uh, so at that point, I was like, I'll give it some more attention. Uh, and I, I basically operated from the perspective of I tried to figure out why it couldn't work. I tried to confirm my previous bias coming in that it couldn't work. And as I went down that, I couldn't figure out why it couldn't work. And I just got obsessed with it. And then the rest is history. Do you know what obsessed means? Obsessed means like you're already stuck to it. Yeah. Like Simon's obsessed. This is just an example. Mm-hmm. Like Simon was obsessed of, I don't know, playing video games. Oh, yeah, with football. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He isn't really playing football anymore. Well, it's summertime, it's too hot. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, do, do you have any more questions for me? Um, yeah, I finally found one of them, mm-hmm. but I'm missing one of the one of the four questions. But um, so you 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 fell in love with Harry Potter, well, the books, <laughs> <laughs> the the books uh, when the third one came out, and how did you how did you get into it, like? Oh, FOMO. You're thinking of FOMO. FOMO, that's right. Yes. Well, first of all, yeah. to set the record straight, I didn't fall in love with Harry Potter. I read but all I know, the books. But like, about like when you I was like your them. age. Like, you like them, but like, not They're fell all right. in love, but like, yeah, you. <laughs> but I have them on the bookcase behind me. So she saw that behind me. And she asked me when I started reading them, or Daniel asked me, actually. And I said that it took me three books. I didn't read it when it first came out. On the third, when the third book released, I got FOMO, and then I started reading them. And FOMO is fear of missing out. F O M O, fear of missing out. If your friend's having a party, and you aren't planning on going to the party, and you find out all your friends are going to the party, you end up getting FOMO, and you go to the party because you have fear of missing out. And that's what a lot of people's uh, situation is with Bitcoin where they dismiss it and then as they keep hearing about it and the price is going up, they get FOMO and they rush in. And your life is going to be dominated by FOMO situations and the reverse, uh, like a panic type of situation. And it's very important that you learn to try and control that emotion on both sides and look at the bigger picture of things. Because when you think with FOMO and when you think with panic, you usually make bad decisions. Although reading Harry Potter wasn't the worst decision I've ever made. <laughs> so do Does you that make sense? FOMO. Yes. Fear okay. of missing out. Yeah? So I hope... The guy who edits your things... Um, uh, Adam, who does yeah, the editing. Adam, yeah, Adam. I hope he says... Um, 
like we have to do this uh, recording after straight after this like maybe uh um say like when you liked harry potter because i am i feel really embarrassed now <laughs> no i love it adam keep it all in you'll be fine you'll be keep fine. it on you're doing this great is, this is this is what this the people like, love. They love they love the raw unedited. This is good. Okay, do you want to um do you want to say goodnight to Matt or have you have you finished with your questioning? Um Daddy, there's a that okay. Well, I'll tell uh, you what. You, you run down to the fridge, give me another beer and if it comes to you, you can come back in and ask the question. Why do I always have to get you a beer? <laughs> I mean, Samuel's worse than you, but like still. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Alcoholic? Yes, yeah. Not not a zero beer like Samuel Wall. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Um That was great. You have a great you have a great Appreciate daughter. it. Thank you very much. Uh it's, um and yeah, it's uh it's a weird thing that you know that the whole thing came about. She wanted to come in one evening and start speaking to the people and showed an interest in my work and Voila, here we are, like, uh, you know, like 50 episodes later, um, it's like, Daddy, you going to do a podcast? Who are you podcasting with tonight? You know, it's, um, it's, I'm, I'm very much into self-led um, education, not including an interest that a child is showing would be, well, it'd be madness. And to expose her to, you know, Bitcoiners from around the world is, I find it a complete privilege. And every single person is so welcoming and open to speaking with a nine-year-old and trying to explain these very, very difficult topics. So appreciate it, man. It's fantastic. It's like, it's fucking fantastic. I'm trying to censor myself because I, I do, I do have a dirty mouth, uh, but she's left <laughs> the room worry. at least, but it is fantastic. It's really good to see. Look, there's like a, there's a million Bitcoin podcasts out there. Uh, it's nice to have one that starts with a nine-year-old. Yeah, that's true, I suppose. Absolutely. Well, I I did want to get down like many, many different rabbit holes with you. And I want to start with, first of all, thanking you because, you know, the work you and Marty have done with, uh, you know, Tales from the Crypt and Rabbit Hole Recre- uh, Recap. And, you know, you guys have put so many people on the right path, uh, myself included. And, I think you're probably still number one streets ahead of uh, of anybody else out there. So huge thanks, huge kudos. And um, to you personally for shaming me into um, that one, please. Thank you for shaming me into taking um, better, better actions as, as a Bitcoiner uh, with, especially with regards to, um, to privacy Um and I want to ask you many questions around that. So if you don't mind, um, if we go too long, just tell me and we can stop. But, uh, you know, who knows how long we've got. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was your your decision to, because obviously you were, you know, very much more private than you are now. And like the kind of, wrestle that you would have gone through with your with yourself to like kind of come out show your face and talk more about yourself and and push this privacy and 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 how you ultimately came to that decision first of all thank you for the kind words uh that means a lot that's why that's why i do it um 
and it, it goes hand in hand with this question, really, uh, is, is it's something I wrestle with all the time. Well, by wrestle with it, it's like dwell on it because there's not much I can do. That's the thing about privacy is when you, when you selectively reveal certain stuff about yourself, there's no going back once you do. So when you make that decision, you have to realize the, the significant nature of that decision. And maybe I didn't fully realize it. I kind of did, to be honest, but maybe I didn't fully realize it. There's some days that I wake up in the morning and I'm like, Matt, you're a fucking idiot. Should have never done it. Um, you should have just stayed in NIM. I've had, I have multiple Bitcoin NIMs from through the years. I was always super careful about, I, I, I didn't even, the first podcast I went on with Marty, he had to like seduce me in, in Twitter DMs. I didn't want to go on. I had never been on a podcast. I didn't want my voice on it. Um, I didn't want to meet him in person. I was like super, I had never really met any Bitcoiners. I had gone to like a couple small meetups, but I had done it like in the shadows in the background and not really talked to anyone or introduced myself. Um, and I is basically, that, yeah, go on. Is that because like, you know, all those years back, is that because you, you're just a private person or like, what, why, what made you like, when you come into Bitcoin, what made you set up a NIM? Did you see straight away? Like this shit's got to be private. Well, it that, was like, different you know, in 2013. In 2013, there was a culture around not, you know, having a real name and face attached to Bitcoin was was seen as, you know, a weak non-Bitcoiner move. The status hmm. quo that they put that people were pushed into entering Bitcoin was was to to be careful with your privacy. Because most people were operating under this uh, under and myself included, we were operating under the expectation that our governments were going to make it illegal, just straight up make it illegal. Let it, we don't know if they can enforce it, but they can make it illegal and that becomes an issue, uh, a clear issue, besides all the theft concerns and stuff like that. So I actually, and, and before Bitcoin, I was already into privacy because of the Snowden leaks. And if, if, if you look at the timeline, the Snowden leaks happened like right before I found Bitcoin. Um, so it was like bang bang, and and I, I had already been pro privacy, but I had assumed that we could trust like corporations to actively protect us and try to protect us, and the governments would be fighting with the corporations, but at least we had someone with our back. And then the Snowden revelations was like no, like Gmail is an arm of arm of the U.S. government. All this information is being stored insecurely. Other governments probably have access to it. Malicious individuals, well financed individuals, corporations, like this data is all over the place because they are just obsessed with collecting it and they can't secure it properly. So I was red-pilled on that before Bitcoin, came into Bitcoin, was very careful about my privacy. I had the, the base, basically when I, when I started going down the rabbit hole, I was like, I want to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. So let's try and reduce the risks to that Bitcoin accumulation. And all roads lead to privacy being one of the top things you can do. When it comes to like Bitcoin security, like the number one thing you could do is just never tell anyone you're interested in Bitcoin. It's like number one thing. Before everything else, it's the number one thing you could do. 
they break into your house or office or something. They don't even know what they're, that they're looking for, it, right? They don't even know that that's a thing. So from purely Bitcoin accumulation strategy, you should just stay private. But what happened was we saw all these regulatory inroads in America specifically, because that's where I'm from. And Bitcoin was becoming more and more legitimized. Uh, and the the faces that started popping up, the the real people talking about Bitcoin, the real people, everyone's a real person, but the 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 public facing individuals talking about Bitcoin and oftentimes also talking about blockchain and shit coins and ICOs and all this stuff, they were they were all corrupted. Most of them were corrupted. And and no and and the the only people that were really talking about privacy was all the NIMS and people in the back channels. And I like I basically came to the conclusion that I would make it I, I would I would dox myself essentially and I would use that as an attempt to reach more people because you you do there's there's a limit there's a there's a limit to what your reach can be unfortunately it shouldn't be the case I love nims uh, I'm friends with a lot of people that online that I have no idea who they are and I try and expand their reach uh, from my position but there's a limit you know the, the pomps of the world uh, they they have way more reach because they're public facing, because they go on TV appearances, because they go on video appearances, because they do podcasts, and I, it was kind of like one thing after the next, and it it got a little bit worse. But I still try and reduce, you know, you know, it's not all a scale. I try and reduce the amount of information that's out there, um, but it it is it is it is literally something that I battle with every day. But I, I just. I find solace in the fact that I think I've helped a, a lot of people be more private. I think I've helped a lot of people be more aware of the privacy shortcomings of Bitcoin specifically and what to prioritize. And hopefully, I, and I think it is, hopefully all of that is worth me losing some of my privacy here. Hopefully it doesn't bite me in the ass too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it is what it is. I did it, so uh, we'll we'll see we'll see how it turns out. the The face thing is the worst part for me, but it's it was the same thing. It's like, what am I? Am I not going to go to conferences? Am I not gonna? And we live in a surveillance state. the The biggest mistake I made was I rationalized it because I was like, the U.S. government knows that I'm interested in Bitcoin. Because I, I, I was a little bit sloppy. Uh, and I was like, my government knows that I'm interested in Bitcoin. And they're like, with the, beyond a reasonable doubt, no, I have Bitcoin. But what people don't realize is there's different scales to that. Just because they know doesn't mean you should telegraph it to every single other country and person in the world that you have Bitcoin. Uh, and that you're interested in Bitcoin, that you're interested in privacy, all this stuff. So there's scales to it, and people need to, you know, make their own make their own judgment calls. <sighs> and yeah, here I am podcasting about Bitcoin and thinking, God damn it, uh, 
why? Why did I even do this? You know, um, February, this wasn't even a thing. Like very, very few people would have known. But like you, I guess, it's just like, I, I have this knowledge. And if I don't share it with as many people as I can, as I possibly can, and try and help as many people as I possibly can, then how's that going to, how's that going to feel in five to 10 years time? How's that going to play out? You could help one person, even if you just help one, if just one person listens to your podcast, then, you know, job done. And I think that's what you've done um, with, with your privacy. Um, You know, it's affected me, mate, in more ways than I could even begin to tell you. Um, I'll, I'll try. Um, just the other day when, well, look at the way I reached out to you to set this thing up. Keybase, right? I didn't go in your Twitter DMs because I listened to your, your and I'm like, well, if I if I want to speak to Matt, he's just going to think I'm a complete moron if I'm approaching him on Twitter DMs about about coming on the podcast. So that was like, okay, let's do that. And then your email, do you, do you, do you want to talk about the email account that's... Um, what, what, what company that, that is? Yeah. I'd never heard of those guys. I'm sure you've said it a hundred times on your podcast, but they've gone over my head. Yeah, but see, that's um, a perfect example, one. right? Is like, I recommend Tuta Nota to people, but like mm-hmm. really in a, in a, like I shouldn't talk about which email clients I use. Like that, that is, right? That, right? But it's, I, yeah. I do agree with you. It's, 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 and it's a little bit addicting. It's not just completely selfless. Like it feels good helping people. And it just started with one person and then two people. And it just, you know, I, I, I think life is short and you can't live in like, you, you, you should be rightfully paranoid and cover yourself and, and watch out for yourself. But at the same time, you can't let fear dictate all your decisions. You need to, we, we need people publicly speaking about privacy and sovereignty. If we don't have that, uh, we, we, we need a movement. We, we, you can't just have, if one person is in a crowd with a mask on, you can just track that person walking through the crowd. You need a lot of the people in the crowd to be wearing the same mask. Otherwise, no one has any kind of privacy. Yeah, it makes me think of the Thomas Crown Affair. You know, you need everybody in a bowler hat and a, exactly. and a suit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to fire a question at you from our boy at Bitcoin Q&A, who I was chatting with earlier. He's been on the show. He's going to help me do a node build. Um, we were lined up to do that tomorrow, but we've had to reschedule and we'll come around to nodes. But Bitcoin Q&A wants to know from you, if you could only leverage three privacy tools for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Oof. Bitcoin Q and A. He's, you know, he's he's up there. I my my response to him is, I think he's probably going to come back with a cap, sunglasses, and mask. But you know, let's see what. <laughs> are we are we include are we including those in tools? I can't wear them if I pick other tools. <laughs> no, I wasn't even thinking of that. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I, let's keep it Bitcoin related, obviously. Um, okay, we'll keep it Bitcoin related. Yeah, um, I, I think I think Tails is extremely underrated. Do you know what Tails is? No, please let's go so down. So Tails is a version of Linux put out by the Tor Foundation, 
and you put it on a USB drive and you boot the computer from the USB drive and it's, it defaults through Tor. Everything goes through Tor automatically. And it has, it's kind of a cheat question because it has a suite of tools that are pre-installed, <laughs> including Electrum. So you can use Bitcoin with it all through Tor. And when you pull the USB drive, if it works correctly as it's supposed to, when you pull the USB drive, everything is erased. So it's like, you know, the, the problem with privacy is all it takes is one little thing and then you shoot yourself in the foot and you're done. Your, your privacy is gone. Uh, so with Tails, they try and automate everything as much as possible. Like you can install a Tor browser on your regular computer, but there's all these other things that you have to consider. If you run Tails, they kind of, they, they, they streamline the process for you. So I would say Tails, let's, let's put Tails in there as number one. Um, that's tailsos.boem.org. Uh, weird, weird domain. I don't under, I don't know what the reasoning for that domain was. Um, and I'm using Bitcoin already, right? So I'm not going to use Bitcoin as a tool here. You know, cash, cash is, is do we counting cash? Cash is a major tool for privacy. It's like the easiest way to spend privately. And I'm, I'm actually worried, uh, if maybe it's like a loophole in the question by by me picking that, then they can't ban cash because I think they will ban cash in the future. But if I get to use it forever, then maybe they can't ban it in the question. Uh, cash, uh, but I guess I that's kind of cheating. PGP encryption, just basic message encryption, uh, either like PGP or Signal. You you need to have some kind of way of to communicate privately. Um, do you use Signal? No, I don't. Do you know what Signal is? No. Okay, so Signal is an app that you install on your phone, and and they it's it's supposed to be like the most user friendly encryption messenger. So okay. So you know PGP is more versatile, but Signal I use more on a day to day basis because P, I, people actually install it. It's just an app they installed on their phone, and then I can just text them uh, encrypted. So I would put that in there. No, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so I have Tails, Torish. I'm like kind of cheating here. I'm just like throwing a bunch of things. Uh, message well, it, encryption. It was a question out of left field, and I think you're doing very, very well. Uh, so. Message encryption. Yeah, I mean, I, I there's a some there's got to be, I think a a, a privacy phone angle. A, a real privacy nut will tell you just never use a phone. Just don't use a phone. It shouldn't be in your privacy tool set because it's a—it's uh, just—it's a liability. But I am also a geek, and I am also a very social person. So between the two of those things, I like communicating with people. I like technology. It's just not something I'm willing to do. I'm not willing to give up my phone. Um, I'm willing to use it less, and I do use it less. Uh, and I use it with less functionality enabled, but I'm not willing to completely give it up. Unfortunately, the tools aren't really there yet for me to choose one f- to use forever. But right now what I'm using is Graphene OS on a Pixel 3a, which is like a privacy-focused f- version of Android. But I don't think that's the end-all be-all. I think that's a stepping stone to ideally some kind of open hardware where 
it's more privacy and security focused. Like right now they're using Google hardware, but they're installing their own version of, you manually install your own version of Android. Um, so it's like not quite there yet. And you leak a bunch of information when you connect it to cell service. So like I wouldn't lock myself in forever, but like you need to have some kind of communication device, some kind of computer communication device that you can um, I guess on on that note, like I, I mean, just like a computer you trust, you know, is uh, that that you're running Linux on. I like Pop OS, uh, which isn't that privacy focused, but it's just very user friendly. I think it's very good for for people getting used to Linux for the first time. Um, and Tails, if if you really need if you really need privacy, I don't know. It's the thing about privacy is. I was screwed on this question to begin with because with privacy you it's just it's just a constant fight. It's not it's it's something that you just have to keep evolving and honing and 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 just and you're never gonna it's never gonna be perfect. You just have to come to the conclusion that you're just you will leak information. Just try and reduce it as much as possible. And if everyone else tries to reduce it as much as possible, then the cumulative effect will hopefully be substantial. Excellent answer, and I hope that goes um, a long way to answering a Bitcoin Q and A. Uh, thank you very much for the question, mate. Um, you touched on cash, and this is really, really interesting because I had a conversation, went for a long walk with uh, my wife and the kids the other day, and she was asking me about um, cashless societies, and we're clearly moving towards this, and the war on cash, as I see it has just been fast-forwarded by about 10 years. with Because of Rona. Rona, COVID, yeah. COVID-19, Corona, whatever you want to call it. The, um, the virus, the lurgy, everything in air quotes. <laughs> um, yeah, and we got into this, this discussion, and then she asked me, well, isn't, isn't that exactly what Bitcoin is? Bitcoin is just, you know, like electronic cash, like... Um, what they're trying to move everything to. So how is that more private? Um, we got into some very, very deep rabbit holes. But before we go down there, um, the war on cash, how worried are you about this and how deep are we into it? We're so fucked. Right. Cash is dead. <laughs> that, that was pretty much my answer. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's twofold. Governments are cracking down on it. For two, for, for two reasons. They're cracking down on it purely for control under the guise of criminal enforcement. Um, it's, it's hard to surveil. Like the, the benefits of cash hurts them. Uh, and the, the second reason, which I'm less focused on, but it is a valid reason, is as we start moving into negative rate environments, um, they don't want you to have like a bearer instrument to, to pull your funds out. Uh, and and to try and avoid the negative rates uh, that you would you would see in your bank, I think I think that becomes more of a valid reason. But I think the primary reason is control and surveillance and and being able to to track every transaction. Um, and part of that is for tax enforcement, but it's not all because of tax enforcement. It's just knowledge is power, and the more information they know, the better. So they're better off pushing you into systems that that they know everything that's going on. Uh, and then the other side of the equation that's pushing us with, with 
cash going away is is that my age group and presumably Lauren's age group even more so, but they're not of age yet, doesn't want to use cash. I'm a pariah, even at the Bitcoin meetups. I am, I am, I'm a, a rarity that uses cash. Most people, they prefer, you have dinner, you throw down a bunch of credit cards, uh, you split it on your credit cards, uh, you Venmo everyone, you cash app everyone. I don't know, you have different payment services by you, but you use like the apps. People like using the apps to pay each other. They just, they prefer it. It's convenience. Uh, it's, it's cleaner for them. They don't have to go to the bank. Their, their salary gets direct deposited and then they just pay you with an app and they just don't, they, they, have, they have no desire whatsoever to use cash. They don't get points, you know? So they're like, oh, I don't get points on this. Like, why am I gonna pay with cash? So when you combine those, those two things together, the government side and the user side, we're quickly going to a situation where cash is just gonna become non-existent. And, and, and using cash, even before it gets fully banned, will just be a red flag in itself. Why are you using cash? Like, are you up to something no good? There's no good, if, if, if you have nothing to hide, there's no reason why you should use cash, you know? And, and you're starting to see that in some of the Nordic countries where they haven't explicitly banned cash, but cash usage has dropped off so much that if you walk into a store and try and pay cash, they're like, you're up to something. There's like something going on there. I know some Bitcoiners over there that they, they say they see that all the time. So I just think at this point it's inevitable. Um, and naturally we're going to get pushed into digital alternatives that are centralized. And when you have centralized alternatives, when you have centralized systems, um, I, as per Nick Zabo's legendary piece, trusted third parties are security holes. There's someone that can pressure. Those people, anyone who's running a centralized system has to completely submit to regulatory bodies. They have to report any information that they're, that they're, they're collecting. Um, some of them are doing it as per their business model as well on top of it because it's a, it's a race to offer you the lowest fees. So let's offer you low fees, but we're going to track every single one of your purchases. Uh, let's offer you high points, but we're going to track every single one of your purchases. Whenever you swipe your credit card, there's like, it's not just your credit card company tracking you. It's like they're selling all that data to a bunch of different marketing agencies and everyone else. Uh, so we need an independent alternative. Now, I am the first person to say that Bitcoin has a lot of privacy shortcomings. Um, but I operate from two principles here, or three, let's say. Cash is going away. It's, it's not going to come back. It's done. It's just how long. And I do agree with you that Rona probably increased that a lot. And in the beginning, I, I, I called that out. I was like, they're going to use this. They're definitely going to use this to try and push away from cash. Um, the, the, the second thing is cash is going away. I think Bitcoin will win. Um, and I, I think... I think Bitcoin will win. So if Bitcoin wins, we need to make sure that people can use it relatively privately if it does win, as I think it's going to. And the third one, which is my favorite, is that if we don't have an independent money like Bitcoin that we can spend privately, like we're just completely fucked. So like, I, I'm... Like I'm going all in, you know, I, I'm, it's not just financially, like we talked about me doxing myself, doxing myself was basically a leveraged all in play. 
right? I'm just like, I'm going to put my reputation on the line. I'm going to dedicate my life to this. And I'm just going to try and try and make it happen. Because if it doesn't happen, if, if we live in a world where every single financial transaction is, is surveilled, um, where every single message is surveilled, where every movement, every photo, like that's dark. That's that people don't realize, like we've never been in that situation before. If you give historical authoritarians that kind of power, bad shit. That's that's not good. And and this is this is all new. This is we have never been in this situation before. So if we don't do this right, if if we don't have free open source alternatives, it's going to be dark. And I, I, I have optimism that humans will figure it out eventually. But my life is short. You know, I, I don't I don't want it to be like my great grandkids and like my great great grandkids that finally see the light of day on the opposite side. Like I, it'd be nice if it'd be nice if my life was good and my kids' life was good and my grandkids' life was good. Like I'd I'd prefer if it wasn't 125 years or something like that. So here I am. It's mad, actually, when I think about. I don't know exactly how old you are, and I won't ask you. But you know, when I was. Uh, when I hang out with and meet um, people a lot younger than me, and I'll give you an example. In London, I was there in January uh, and meeting uh, a lot of millennials and going out uh, and you know discussing certain topics. And, and they're all very, very generous and they would all uh, appreciate my time and want to buy me the coffee. And I was shocked. Not once did I see them ever pull out a wallet let alone cash, it's just straight on the phone. And it was either Apple Pay or Google Pay. And I'm sitting there with like a bunch of notes in my pocket thinking, wow, this is like, this is this is already happened. And you go on the tube and you just use contactless on your card. <clears throat> what am I going to do? Queue up at some ridiculous like 1950s ticket machine and like drop in the pound <laughs> coins that keep getting spat out at the bottom because they can't be read properly and like, or am I going to go straight through the turnstile and use my contactless card? Of course I'm going to do that. But I was looking at that generation and thinking, like you, cash is fucked. It's over. It's already dead. We just don't realize it yet. Uh, and I don't know whether you guys have this in the States. Do you phase out old notes um, because I, I know like uh, your dollar bills are all pretty much the same. They've been the same for, for many, many years. But in the UK, they change the size, they change the colors, they change the pictures of the people on there and, and whatever else. And every two to three years, like the, the five pound note becomes, um, you know, worthless because they're replacing the new five pound notes. You got to so bring it like, into the bank and exchange it. Right? Exactly. They yep. got to do a little KYC in there, a KYC check. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we don't really Absolutely. have that yet here. The greenback is uh, been been relatively standard. I mean, you can they they brought out new notes, but like you can spend like an old twenty dollar bill usually fine. Uh, so if you were to take in a twenty pound note that had officially gone out of circulation like uh, three to six months ago, things worthless, right? You, you're fucked. The people are not going to, the, the shopkeeper is not going to accept that. And that's the kind of thing I try and explain to people is like what you carry, like these paper, like, you know, warehouse receipts as we now have become to understand them. Um, you know, trying to use that analogy is, um, 
And they're going to do it again, like very, very soon. And it's just like, even the coins, Matt, even the coins, yeah. they, they, they phase out one pound coins. It's like, oh my God. And we, we, saw, it, we saw it at the extreme in India. Mm, yes. Where exactly. they took out the top bills and they, they made mm-hmm. you, they, everyone had to queue up mm-hmm. and KYC themselves and report anything that they wanted to, to retain. Um, and I, I think we could see that more possibly in other countries, but I'm not even sure if it's really even necessary. It just seems like people have already handed in the towel on this one. Like I, I don't even, there's, I don't dedicate my life fighting for the existence of cash. Let me put it that way. Right. I, I see Bitcoin as our, <laughs> as our only hope. I don't, I don't, uh, I already think it's, I think it's a lost cause. And what's going on now in the U- U.S.? Um, the UBI is being uh, the the universal basic income is being kicked in. Is that being sent out in check form, or is that being sent out like in digits on your bank account? Like, w- what's happening there? It's both. It's a combination. First of all, I have to say I'm surprised that it hasn't been more severe. Our neighbors in the north in Canada, I believe, they've been getting it just every two weeks. They just flooded in the UBI. Um, here we had one $1,200 check uh, that it basically it was how you reported your taxes. If your taxes in the previous year you paid through direct deposit, then you received it through direct deposit. But if mm-hmm. you paid in check form, then you received it as a check. And they punished the people who received it as a check because uh, it came later, right? So, so wow. it, it's like a mini Cantillon. Cantillon effect, right? If we're like, if you, if you don't play ball and you don't give them the direct deposit, then then you're going to get the money later than everyone else. And there was also there's there's they put financial limits on it, so it's like uh, you only get the full amount if you made less than seventy five k. Above that, it scales down, uh, like as you as you make more money. Um, but they they also seem to be trying to transfer people over to like these like if they don't have a See, we have a big not unbanked population in, in America. Um, so the checks are important because in low-income areas, we have these check cashing places where you go and you pay like a high fee, but you don't need a bank and they just give you cash. Um, so they're trying to move those people over to like uh, Fed-sponsored debit cards, right? And move you, and then that way they can track all your transactions. And I, some of our politicians have even gone so far and they, they haven't implemented anything like that but have gone so far as saying the beauty is if we can move them over to the debit card system we can choose what they they can spend it on right so we'll give you we'll give you this helicopter money but like you can only spend it on on items that we approve uh oh so yeah i mean God. it's not it's a very i i thought personally i thought they were just like as a politician i mean Trump is a very divisive character in our, in our, in our, in the whole world, but in our country, um, he was universally applauded for sending people twelve hundred dollars. There wasn't a single person that received twelve hundred dollars and was upset about it. Everyone was very happy about it. So I'm really surprised that it didn't. I thought it was the dawn of a new era. Every two weeks, people were going to get twelve hundred dollars. That's really what I believe. So I was surprised it took them so long to send another another set. And kind of like the the you know maybe I'm getting this wrong as an outsider looking in and someone who tries to avoid the news and whatever Trump is doing anyway. But was he not like completely 
Because you had Andrew Wang running, right? And his yeah. whole thing was UBI, UBI, UBI. And Trump was like, yeah, it's never going to work. And then all of a sudden, like the coronavirus and yeah, UBI is great. And all of a sudden now he's, a, he's the man right. for, for doing UBI. Well, that's just classic, right? That's just classic Unreal. politics. Uh, yeah. yeah, Andrew Yang was running on $1,000 a month per person. Um, an interesting difference there was he was running on, there was no requirements or anything. It was. It didn't matter how much income you were making; just everyone got a thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. I personally, I I like smaller government. I think government should be localized. That's pretty much as far as I go with with publicizing my politics. Um, but I think that if if a government is going to shut down your business, if you're going to do all these you know, socialism-esque things in terms of top-down control over small businesses and whatnot, then you should, you know, if you should go full tilt and you should airdrop people money. Like, people should, you should print money and give them the cash. Like, that. that's, and I, and I, I think, like, if you're going to do bailouts and you're going to bail out big business and wealthy individuals, then you should just send everyone an equal amount of money. Like, it's the simplest, least corrupting thing you can do. Um... But I, I wish we didn't live in a world where any of this was even a thing. So I'm a, you know, I'm a very weird specimen in that regard. Yeah, exactly, man. Well, let's. Um, where do you where, where do you want to take this? What do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about raising a daughter trying to care about privacy because that was a really good question you asked me, and it's really something that I've been not staying up like having trouble sleeping with, but it's one of those things like I fall asleep thinking about it and I wake up thinking about it. Like how I'm going to manage that with my kids without being like a complete helicopter parent. Like, cause I, I think like part of the issues with parenting right now is that parents are too in control, right? When, mm-hmm. when I was younger and probably even more when you were younger, I mean, I could just do whatever the hell I wanted. Uh, and I think I learned a lot from like the horrible decisions I made. I made so many bad decisions and I look back and I'm like, wow, that could have went way worse. Glad, I'm, I'm glad it didn't go. I'm glad it didn't go worst case scenario there. And now they're like trying to coddle the kids, but at the same time, they have like full access to the internet. And I don't think you can really restrict that access without just completely making them useless. Like, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Oh man, too much. I know exactly what you're saying. And you know, where we are at right now, um, quick backstory, we had our kids, um, we were in Singapore, so we're in the expat system um, and fell into that trap of international schooling and paying ridiculously high fees, managed to extricate ourselves from that and put our kids into the local schooling system in Singapore, which gets talked up around the world by the way. I don't know whether it does in the US, but, uh, you know, like the the Singapore style of doing math. And so we got a very, very close look at the way they run school there. And, mate, prison is the only word I can really, like, you know, it's just ridiculous. They They are skimming the cream from the minute they walk into that system. Like, they're testing the kids from six or seven years of age, and they're just looking for the natural, like, mathematical brilliance. And they're going to become the politicians, the doctors, the engineers, the lawyers, and whatever else. And they'll know, and they'll get groomed. 
Everyone else just gets shuffled along and, you know, whatever else, yada, yada, yada. Sit down, shut up, don't ask questions, um, move along in line, wait for the bell, <clears throat> and all of the usual crap. Um, we we took our kids out of the education system and we traveled around the world with them for two and a half years, world schooling as it's now known, uh, which is basically, you know, using your natural surroundings wherever you are to, to fall into an... Um, an experiential educational experience. Interesting. Which was amazing. Absolutely incredible. And that's when you see real growth and that's when you see like natural instincts take over on the kids. Um, but we, after almost three years of, of living that, that lifestyle, we, we needed a break, right? It seems amazing moving around different countries every other two weeks or whatever else. Um, couldn't imagine doing that now, right? Yeah, I'm glad you got the traveling um, in. Yeah, exactly. We That, that bug's been bitten. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we ended up in France and my wife and I decided um, if we could give our kids just one thing out of education, what would it be? And we both decided to be the ability to speak another language. And we're like, right, okay, well, to get that done, you got to go immersive. You're not going to learn that on an app. You're not going to learn that on YouTube. Let's get them into the system again and put them into school for a couple of years and see what happens. So, excuse me. <clears throat> so we got that done. And just since coronavirus hit, that was the perfect springboard for us to take them back out again because we were just sick and tired of the robotic bullshit education system so what that was that french were, public school yeah how so how long was that like two years three years just about three years yeah no three three and a half years yeah okay so so she speaks french, french does she speak french well yeah all four of them do yeah awesome yeah so they, they've they've got that <clears throat> Excuse me, I need another beer. So we, um, yeah, so we've taken them out. And now they've gone remote schooling with an um, awesome company called uh, GalileoXP.com, big shout out, where they interact with kids from all over the world on Zoom. Um, it's password encrypted, Matt. You'd be uh, happy to know. Like uh, no one can drop in on the Zoom calls. And they have these clubs um, that they can choose from. And it's all about... Um, self-directed education and they get to choose it's like well these are the clubs we're running this month it's science club math club coding club um spanish club uh oof, writing club uh reading club you name it there's probably like 10 oh they're doing 3d modeling they love that um robotics club and they get to choose and they fill their own timetable so at the age of nine the, the two youngest that are doing it the nine-year-old twins and we have another daughter that's doing it who's 12, they're already learning how to, you know, choose what they want to do, follow their own path, set up their weekly schedule. There's still massive gaps in it. Like, you know, we, we, we've got to work on it constantly, but they'll get there. But then they're on the screen, right? All the time. This is how it's being done. And then they want to play Roblox with their friends um, or another game like Minecraft. And finding that balance is so difficult as a parent because like you, I see their future is this, right? Remote work is going to be a thing. Project work is going to be a thing. They're never going to work in a building. And if I'm doing the Bitcoin thing right, they'll only ever work on projects that they're passionate about and they're really, really interested in. They won't have to 
They won't have to, in air quotes, work. You know, it's like the Steve Jobs thing. You'll, you'll never work a day in your life if you do something that you truly love and are passionate about right. and believe in. I always thought that was bullshit, by the way. Do you now? No, because I discovered Bitcoin, but I'm not right. working full time <laughs> in Bitcoin yet. Uh, so I, I see a way out, but I... Uh, I, I always I, thought it was bullshit as well. I, I have never work, understood it. You know, I have a my my this these conversations is me procrastinating from work. You know, <laughs> and what is that? I don't talk about that. See, I'm okay. very selective. Fair um, enough. But uh, yeah, I I I I think you know I think that's inspiring. You know what you just told us, uh, but I. It, I can't imagine how difficult it is trying to find that balance. Uh, and even things like, so, so do they use, they use, do they use Zoom specifically or do they use a different video chat for the- Zoom, Zoom at right? the moment. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's like, in a lot of ways, I mean, I think a lot of us saw the remote work thing happening regardless, right? Similar to the cash ban. But, but Rona sped it up. A ton. Um, I know my parents' generation didn't even know what Zoom was. Now right. they're they're starting their own chat rooms and stuff, and and jumping in the Zooms, and and they, I didn't think they could ever figure it out, and they figured it out. You know, um, my family has like twenty five person Zoom calls at once a week, but wow. the relatives join in that I've never met in person. Didn't even know they existed before <laughs> Rona, but now they're having like these insane Zoom calls. But anyway, th- that's where a lot of my concern lies on this privacy stuff, right? And it's a great mm-hmm. analogy for the removal of cash because one of, the, one of the best things, I guess a good way of framing it is if I had kept my privacy, it would have almost been for selfish reasons. One of... Like the most selfish thing I could have done was just continued my fiat job, stack sats, accumulated as much Bitcoin as possible, moved out to the woods, started a family, and just never really talked to anybody. Uh, but instead, I chose this path, which is way more public, and it's like almost a public outreach advocate kind of role. Uh, and w- one of the best parts of that was we had a great, we still have, we have a great Bitcoin community in New York City. So I would go out for drinks and everyone's phones would be away. Uh, we'd be in a dark bar and we could talk about whatever we wanted to talk about. And it was, it was pretty hard to spy on us. Like maybe we had a spook amongst us. I, I would always joke like, who's the spook? One of you's the spook. Uh, and then they would joke back to me. They were like, Matt, you're definitely the spook because you keep bringing it up. Uh, but now when we have these conversations, like the conversation we're having right now between us, uh, we're doing it through a centralized third party. Zoom might not be keeping videos of all of this conversation, but they're keeping, they're definitely keeping our IP addresses, which give up our location, our user accounts for Zoom. Um, we have gone so far an hour, if not, but longer if you don't include where we started recording. So you have a paid subscription to Zoom. So they have your credit card billing information. Um, and they're probably keeping a transcript because the one thing we have going for us is video files are very big. So usually 
my expectation is that they, they convert it all to words and they save the text file because the text file is, is minimal. Um, but all of a sudden we're moving to this situation where 90% of our conversations are going through non-end-to-end encrypted communication that's easily logged. Um, and people end up self-censoring themselves. Like I've, I've had Zoom happy hours or whatever with other Bitcoiners where we just drink and talk and shit. And like, I don't talk about, I self-censor the shit out of myself. They don't even have to be listening. Just the potential that they are listening means that I don't talk freely about what I want to talk about. Uh, and that, that's very stifling at scale. So we really, there's like good, the good news is Zoom wants to end-to-end encrypt everything so they can't spy. And they, that boosted their stock price. So people think adding privacy is, is good. Right, that's like the best incentive ever. If if your stock price goes up for adding privacy, that's good. But it's not going to be open source, so we don't know, right? And this is where free open source software comes in, not just Bitcoin. Is even if we can't read the code, if other people can read the code and verify what's going on, it provides a very strong check. And we need in a world that's becoming increasingly digitized, we need to move to these open source tools. Otherwise, it's all going to be centralized third parties everywhere we look, and they're all going to get they're all going to get pressured. Like I, I hope that the next generation of Galileo is going to be open source through and through, verified end to end encrypted. Only the people that are in the chat uh, or know what's what's being spoken about. And like, yes, there'll still be vulnerabilities, and there'll still be shenanigans that can be played and stuff, but hopefully it reduces the scale of like mass, ma- the mass surveillance capability uh, and, and we'll all be better off for it. But if we don't hit that point, it could get very dicey. I got, a, I got a theory that I want to flesh out with you right now. I think we're pretty much both convinced that we're entering a bull run pretty soon. Oh, yeah. Um, which is going to blow many people's pants off. Um, so let's just say, perhaps not this bull run, perhaps the next bull run. Let's say five years. <clears throat> There's going to be some people in some pretty incredible positions. Now, if these people are tech entrepreneurs or they have tech abilities or capabilities or can build teams and can build out businesses, are we going to see a spike from these people that are going to go and build these things, exact tools that you're talking about? And is this what's going to change, you know, the, the lives of people like uh, Lauren? I think so. Uh, I think people learn when they need it. You know, I, I, think, I think change happens when people get burned and... and and hurt and, and see it firsthand or secondhand, you know, friends or family get burned. Um, I think that's when we see like real structural change uh, and desire to change things. I just worry that the short-term pain Oh, I guess I, I missed your question a little bit. Your question is that the bull run is just going to, we're going to have a bunch of rich Bitcoiners and they're going to shower the world in goodness. Probably yeah. not. I, I think what <laughs> happens is 
what I what I think what happens is is that our lives are increasingly online and we're going to have more and more massive data leaks and hacks and compromises and situations that result from those compromises. Um, a perfect example is the Equifax hack that happened in America where literally every adult American had their personal information taken, um, social security numbers, addresses, open, open bank accounts, stuff like that. Um, as more of those things happen, people will wise up. You know, uh, we, we, when we have 50 million, 100 million people's day-to-day granular location get leaked and everywhere they've traveled and like 10 million marriages get destroyed because the, the leaked data showed that they, they had a spouse that was cheating on them or something. Like that's when people are like, oh, like we should have better location privacy, you know? Or um, I, I think like even like isolated things like Bezos WhatsApp getting hacked, right? Is like, oh shit, one of the richest men in the world had all of his dirty, dark secrets leaked. Maybe I should take my message privacy more seriously. Right, and I think those those things are what leads people to to build the solutions. Are Bitcoiners going to build cool things and good things? Yeah, I I I I think so. But I I mean that it's not 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 significantly. I don't I don't I I think most Bitcoiners, and I I love my Bitcoiners. Uh, I think most of us are just going to be like taking care of our own. And you Stacking know, sets. <laughs> and 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 just be like smug, told you so, assholes about it, you know. And I think that's the unfortunate reality of of, of the. We're case. not going to be humble, Matt. We, it's, I you know I want us to be humble. I want to be humble, but look, we get like a little twelve percent price increase, and everyone's just like, "You're all fucked if you're not owning Bitcoin," you know. So. I I, I, well, I think it, Bitcoiners will build cool things, but I, I don't think, you know, if, if you're a rich person right now, you can have pretty private communications. You can have a pretty private life. That's not the issue, right? That's why the Bezos thing was so crazy for people, was that he could get hacked, right? But like, that doesn't trickle down to the average person. We, we, need, we need the masses to be able to exit the panopticon to not be part of the panopticon. <laughs> I got a question for you about humble. You know, at what point there's a blurred line, I think between, you know, staying humble and, um, you know, showing like, uh, feeling vindicated, right. You know, this has been, how long have we just been like going through this frozen winter and, you know, just taking all the pot shots from all the assholes out there. Um, you know, like the, I don't even want to say his name, morons of this world. Um, friends and family that just look at you like you're some poor fucking idiot that's just fallen for the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world. And um, it's going to be really hard to stay humble. It's so hard. Really hard. When vindication is on the table, this is like, you know, it's, I'm not even saying 
I'm not saying go out and, um, you know, peacock around or whatever else. It's like, and I don't want to say like, I fucking told you so, but guys, you've been throwing rocks at me for <laughs> how long? Like, does that stop now? No, it, I don't know. It's one thing with the, look, with the Bitcoin deniers, with the, the very vehement anti-Bitcoin people, uh, even close friends and family that have just thrown you through the mud, especially during the bear markets. You know, it's, I love dunking on them. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't, right? Um, it feels good. You know, it feels good to be right after them doing the same exact thing to you when they thought you were wrong. Um, and I'm not even saying like Bitcoiners shouldn't do that. I, I, look, I do it. It's one of my favorite things to do is 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 to dunk on Bitcoin deniers. Uh, I preemptively do it by when they when they do attacks on us during the bear market. I tweet stamp it. Well, why am I tweet stamping it if I'm not doing it so that when I'm inevitably right, I'm going to uh, pull that out. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be like, look. Because I, I saw a lot of them, the, the last cycle, a lot of people deleted their bad takes. And that's one of the things, though, is like, there's a nuance here. Someone like Joe Weisenthal, who I've met, I, I think he's a great dude. He has some really bad takes on Bitcoin from 2013. He hasn't deleted them. They're still up there. He lets us dunk on him, right? So he he deserves some praise in that regard, right? That that he doesn't delete those tweets, but the majority of people are, are they, they revised history. They pretend they didn't. And those people should definitely be put in their place. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, wait, is this your first cycle? No. Okay. In 2017, from December 20, in December 2017, right? So like December 1 to December 31st, I was not humble. I was not humble at all. And it wasn't, I'm not talking about how I treated other people. I think I treated them decently, unless they were Bitcoin deniers, right? Then I obviously dunked on them. I'm talking about just my mentality, right? Hyper-Bitcoinization was upon us. I had done the math wrong. It is happening. We are going to the moon. I... We're not going to pull back. It was like up to 10K, I was cool as a cucumber. And then after 10K, like December 1 to December 30th, I was like, you know, oh my God, it's just happening way quicker than I expected. We're going to the moon. I must have, op- I must have popped like 40 bottles of champagne in that month. <laughs> like what? And like as a proper Bitcoiner, I didn't sell Bitcoin to pay for the champagne. I paid for it with fiat. <laughs> you know, and then the price collapsed afterwards, right? That was like, I sh- you know, that was a c- huge waste of money. So like, just like, I just want people to, you know, and, and it's the same with the bear market. It's, it's what we were talking about with Lauren earlier is like, it's that FOMO and the panic. It's both sides of it, right? And it's, it's, it's you, you need to channel that emotion um, and just like try and ignore it as much as possible. It's the same where I come from, it is the same uh, thought process as lower your time preference. Stay humble, stack stats. Lower your time preference. Dollar cost averaging. Think long term, right? It's all the same. 
And it's it's a mental framework for yourself individually, more so than um, peacocking. But I, I don't I don't think like peacocking on Twitter is very useful. But I, I love dunking on Bitcoin deniers. So so I'm I'm, I'm and I'm and some people think that when I say stay humble, stack sats, I'm saying be like me, stay humble, stack sats. No, I'm reminding myself, and while I'm doing that, I'm reminding you guys as well because I am, you know. I've a lot of ego. I'm to try and I try my best to stay humble. <laughs> well, they're good reminders. And um, yeah, dunking on deniers is so much fun. Bitcoin Twitter is so much fun. Um, I love it when the memes just start pumping as soon as the price starts pumping. It's brilliant. Which, by the way, has had a nice little move today. Um, I'll call up Clark Moody in a second. Do you have it up? No, I do not have it up right now. I don't look at the price uh, that often. I, I, I can. The way I check the price is like, Twitter freaks out if it goes hard in either yeah. direction, and then I check after the fact. So I checked it today because I released an episode, and I uh, price stamp each episode that I release. Cool. Um, and I was like, huh? When did it reach eleven point six k? Like, um, since like it blew through twelve. The so other do you day track it in euros or dollars? That's in dollars. So do you, do you think of it in dollars? Is that where you usually track the Always, prices? yeah. Because I use Clark Moody and Clark only has dollars up there. Interesting. Uh, I love so, that. I love yeah. that dashboard. We just had him on the podcast. It's uh, Hopefully should be up soon. Yeah, he's a great... I, I did too. So we, we might release him in the same week. But, did you uh, have to... You, did you submit it to Kraken Review? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's what well, we're I waiting s- for Kraken Review as well. Uh, yeah, I, I sent it over to Clark and he's going to take yeah, it Yeah, so we'll probably so. just end up dropping it at the same exact time as what's going to happen. <laughs> Thanks, Kraken. Yes. <laughs> but but um, Clark is great. Clark is great. More Clark, the better, as far as I'm concerned. You know, people say to me, Matt, you go on all these Bitcoin podcasts. Like, here I am with you. Um, the reason I came out of the shadows and went started doing Rabbit Hole Recap and, and did Tales from the Crypt to begin with was because there weren't, we didn't have any good Bitcoin content. We had very little good Bitcoin-only content. Um, most of it was blockchain and shitcoins and stuff. Seeing all of this content makes me super happy. You know, I, get, I am super grateful for everyone who's making quality Bitcoin content. And it is absolutely my pleasure to try and expand that ecosystem. Like, I don't consider us competitors, I, I consider us all growing the pie together. And I, I think I, I think at the end of the day, like Bitcoiners benefit from it. Like if, if me and Marty get, you know, into a into a car crash, like there is a plentiful amount of Bitcoin content for people to consume. And I think that is that is fantastic. And it's a very Bitcoin thing. I completely agree. And I could not be more blown away by coming into this space and you know, procrastinating about starting a Bitcoin podcast for so long and then just doing it and reaching out to a few people and like, bam, it's like, yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. And like, you know, some of the OGs that you look up to, that, that all they want to do is help you. Um, and already on the podcast, uh, you know, Marty's been on, you're on here, Peter's been on, Stefan's been on, uh, Brady's been on, John Vallis has been on. It's like, yeah, anything, anything to help you, anything to spread the word. It's like, and uh, and of course, you know, 
I'd do the same. And this is not like any business I've ever worked in before, any sector where it's usually just cutthroat competition and try and outdo the next guy. This is the total opposite. And uh, I'm, I'm Does finding Does it get that corrupted? In what like, way? Are, are we just in the honeymoon phase? Oh, do you, do you mean like, does it play out and get corrupted? Um, like, let's say we're right, right? And and hmm. Bitcoin goes to a trillion dollar market cap. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just on a podcast with Jack Mollers. He said 12 to 18 months, trillion dollar market cap. Uh, wow. We start having the big players coming in. Does that change? Does that culture change? Or I don't know. I want to say I hope not, obviously. Um I think bad actors are going to get found out very quickly and not tolerated, whereas in the legacy business world, they were. They were tolerated and they generally were the people that rose to the top. I've worked under so many fucking psychos, I can't even begin to tell you. I don't think there's that level of tolerance in the Bitcoin world. So I am very hopeful I don't know, maybe I'm smoking from the hopium pipe, but I'm very hopeful that this this foundation that's been built and the people that are going to come in and understand, like, Bitcoin only um, is going to be such this core belief that anybody that strays just slightly away from that is just going to get either pulled straight back into line or ostracized. Sounds kind of religious. Bit cultish as well, yeah, which is bad. I I wonder about that because look, I think we're at the precipice of a bull run here, a bull run that will blow <laughs> twenty seventeen out of the water. And looking for that orange dot. I well, I'm not sure if I prescribe to S two F, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> I think Bitcoin's designed to pump forever. I just don't know if it'll go along the line, you know. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a weird. It's you know I don't have a strong argument. Uh, against it. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, but I think we're on the precipice of a big bull run here. And 2017 was intolerable. Uh, there was a portion of 2017 where I thought I might be the idiot, where I thought, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like all the charlatans and everyone, they, they were, they're right. Um, especially since like in the beginning of 2017, I don't know how well you remember it, like the beginning of 2017, it was, it was mostly people dunking on Bitcoin and all the shit coins pumping. Uh, first Ethereum pumped and then the ICO boom happened and then they took all of their, all the, all the idiot money took all their gains and poured it into all this stupid shit. And they were they were talking about tokenomics and and utility thesis and this and that and designing the ideal economic model and all this fucking bullshit. And we haven't none of that got washed out. They were just all in hibernation during the bear market. They're all coming back. We see them all coming back now. And mm-hmm. it's 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 we have shitcoiner-esque people among us. Mm-hmm. Who you see, you see it. You see the tendencies to just change a little bit of the truth, just a little bit of the truth, just throw out ethics just a little bit, 
you know, and for, for the engagement, for that sweet, sweet engagement for, for some more. And they were in hiding and they're coming out now and it's going to happen again. I, I, I think the one thing we have going for us is at least in the medium term, we're going to dump hard every time. It's going to be, you know, we'll go up to whatever we go up to this cycle. We go up to like 150 or something like that, 100. Maybe we blow past 100 and go to like 150, 200. And then we're going to collapse, right? We're going to go to 40K, 30K, 20K, and Bitcoin is dead. We're done. It's dead. And that's when like the ideologically minded all come together and like, try and write the history and try and, you know, clean up house and shit. And then it happens again. If it was like a sustained 10-year bull run, then the charlatans are just going to rise to the top. Because every time during the bull run, you know, it's, it's a way easier sell to tell someone, I can guarantee you riches. This system is perfect. Everything is great. You just do this one simple thing. You're going to do great. No trade-offs whatsoever. That's such an easier sell than trying to be like, this is the reality of the situation. You know, things aren't going to be so great, but we can, you know, do our best here. Like, you'll get some gains. Like, like there's, when you start int- implementing, tr- like introducing trade-offs and try and be ethical about it, it's just a way harder sell in a bull market. So I, I think... I think Bitcoiners are underestimating uh, like the level of charlatanism that we're about to. Uh, we're on the not only are we on the precipice of a bull market, we're on the precipice of infuriating shit. Oh man! And it's coming under the acronym of DeFi. DeFi. I don't even know what, what that stands for. What the fuck is that? I thought it was a shit coin. <laughs> I honestly did. Have you looked I into it at all? I still, like, can someone fucking explain it to me? I don't really get it. it. It's, first of all, it's like it has, the whole acronym has negative connotations beginning with the word D. Um, So DeFi, as far as I understand it, is there's going to be a bunch of charlatan companies coming in saying, hey, loan us your Bitcoin. We will, in the background, fractionally, fractionally reserve the shit out of that and promise you some crappy fiat back at like ridiculously high retarded interest rates just to bring you in the door and then we're going to fold up and run with your Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, they call it decentralized finance. Uh, but, you know, the decentralized part is the important part and and, and, and none of it is decentralized. Um, Bitcoin is is by far the most decentralized, but it's still not decentralized enough in my opinion. There's a lot of centralizing factors there. Um, And then, but then, so that's fine. That's like the overarching theme. Okay, so like you you throw decentralization on some marketing spreadsheet or whatever, and you you sell it to, to unsuspecting individuals, you know, to make a quick buck. What's really been confusing me is this latest run of it where they have like this yield farming or whatever the hell's going on there. I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on. It just all sounds like a ticking time the bomb. Fuck That's is all yield I know. <laughs> They're like, 
I think people are talking about like 10, 15, 20% returns. You know, I don't, it just, usually when you hear those kind of high things, high returns, like you just know it's, it's scammy. So I, so I do push back on, on Bitcoiners, I think when like, it's going to be, it's just going to be a hard road in more ways than one. It's not going to be, it's not going to be like all roses and sats all the way and just everything is, is, is Gucci. It's going to be, it's going to be messy and there's going to be many charlatans among us. Just hold guys. Just don't fall for anything. Just hold and watch and just keep stacking the sats as, um, you know, over the next year or two, you can like dollar cost averaging into a bull run is, uh, more than, more than sensible. But Matt, I want to talk to you about um, CoinJoin um, because, you know, I'd never done this. Um, this was not an option when I, I first came into the space. Right. And I want to ask you about, like, um, perhaps I could represent many other Bitcoin that, Bitcoiners out there that, you know, might have been around for five, six, seven years, whatever, and they've got the stack. And that is, like, truly precious. They've done all the right things that they thought they were doing throughout this this journey. You know, it's on a hard wallet, a cold storage, whatever. Um, it's off an exchange, number one. What do you say to those guys now that, you know, should they start taking from, from that stack and coin joining that and then putting it back? Or should they just keep that where it is? That's all good. Don't worry. What's happened happened because anything you do now is going to leave more footprints. Let's just leave that and hodl and hodl and hodl. But going forward, try and use a non-KYC like the BISC or uh, whatever it is uh, that you might be able to get your hands on and then coin join that shit and then add that to your stack. And then I want to get into two different scenarios where there might be different prices for for different kinds of coins, like five, ten years down the line. But I just want to like that 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 first question. So it depends. It depends where you live. It depends on how you view Bitcoin. Um, I actually disagree with a lot of people that I'm in the privacy circles with. Um, in terms of KYC Bitcoin, fuck KYC. KYC is horrible. It surrounds our whole life. You know, getting a phone number is KYC. Getting a Zoom account is KYC. All of these things, all these little things, you know, that people don't really think about, are effectively KYC when you start connecting the dots. Flying, obviously, traveling, booking a hotel, uh, registering to vote. Uh, you know. Every everything we do is KYC, pretty much. It's it's all, and and with Bitcoin, it's more in your face, uh, because especially if you've been here for a while, because the KYC wasn't there before, and now it's it's slowly coming in. So, obviously, if you KYC, you can't remove the record that you own X amount of Bitcoin on X date, right? Um, but I think. And obviously, you should try going forward to not use KYC services. Uh, if you do use KYC services, try and reduce, you know, that's more actionable for most people is just reduce the number of KYC services. You've, I've only KYC'd for two Bitcoin services ever. And that's Coinbase and Cash App. Did it do a lot of damage? Yes. 
but reduce the amount of services that you KYC with as, as much as possible. Um, then, and, 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 and try and do no KYC. And look, the ideal is, you know, selling goods and services for Bitcoin, uh, using BTC pay server, uh, completely peer to peer, fantastic, right? And then when we go into the no KYC, there's different levels of no KYC, right? Like earning is obviously with BTC pay is great. Uh, Mining is actually fantastic. People never really talk about that enough, I think. Even if you have high electricity, if you're paying 30% more than you would stacking through a regulated service, that's a 30% privacy premium. Could be worth it long term. You know, I don't think that's like necessarily the highest fee ever. When I first bought Bitcoin, I paid like a 30% fee for it. You know, like it's, it's I think, is relatively reasonable if, if you consider the trade offs. Then when you enter like a BISC or a HODL HODL, there's a bank account transfer option. Obviously, that's like light KYC. Your bank account's still involved. You're sending a bank transfer to someone. Uh, your bank sees it. The, the other person sees it. The other person's bank sees it. Um, in America, we have U.S. postal orders, which are like pretty private. It's almost like cash. So that's like a, 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 a better option from bank account. And then after that, obviously cash. Cash is king in terms of privacy. Okay, so we got all that out of the way. You have a KYC stack. What do I do with the KYC stack? I think in the, in the developed world, in Europe and America, and I'm not sure how Asian laws work, uh, so I'm not going to comment on them. CoinJoin is completely legal. They have not, there's, there's been no bans on CoinJoin yet. So as far as I'm concerned, and there might be bans on CoinJoin in the future, as far as I'm concerned, if you have a long-term thesis on Bitcoin, and this goes back to my original point where there's two things. Where do you live? What's your view on Bitcoin? If you have a long-term view on Bitcoin, you don't plan on selling for 10 years or whatever, five to 10 years, um, which is my plan. Like I, my plan is never to sell. It's gonna, I'm going to spend it eventually. I'm not going I'm I'm to, I have no intention of selling. This is a long-term play. Um, coin join is a protest that's an effective protest because first of all it's legal uh, and you're signaling to both exchanges and regulators that I am taking my Bitcoin that I'm buying from you and I'm putting it into coin join I'm going to put it through coin join so, so, so those exchanges are saying to themselves oh shit 40% of our customers are withdrawing going into coin join uh, that's a significant level of our customers value that as a service. Uh, they value their privacy. Maybe I will fight for it more when regulatory bodies ultimately come after that, that kind of usage. And then the second thing is, well, there's a couple things here. Number two is you're signaling to regulators, maybe we shouldn't attempt to ban it because so many people are using it. We see you know, increased usage could protect it as, as, as a legal use case uh, going forward. Uh, the, the third thing is, if you just send, if you, let's say you buy Bitcoin and Coinbase, don't use Coinbase, delete Coinbase, but it's, a good, it's, it's just a good analogy because they're global. Uh, you buy Bitcoin on Coinbase and you just withdraw it to an address and you leave it there. 
they're, they're plausible. You have almost no plausible deniability whatsoever that that Bitcoin is your Bitcoin. Um, if if in, in a situation, if that Bitcoin ever moves, you move the Bitcoin. You could say you lost it, I guess. You could try and fight them on and I lost it. My hard drive broke. Uh, you know, I got my words fished. Uh, a boating accident. Boating accident is ridiculously stupid. No one's ever going to fall for boating accident. But I got, I got hacked. Whatever. If those bitcoins move after you say that, you're full of shit. I mean, I guess not if you got hacked. But it's impossible to prove it. There's no way to, for you to prove it. And they, they know where your coins are at. If you coin join now, as time goes on, you might gain some extra plausible deniability there. Right, like first of all, they tracking future transactions becomes more difficult. But more so than that is like the last known address. Maybe let's say it was seven years ago. The you know, let's say we're in like 2027, and the last known address was seven years ago, and then it went to CoinJoin, and you did every, let's say you did everything right because there's a lot of things you can fuck up. Let's say you did everything right. The last known address was seven years ago. You have some plausible deniability there. What happened in the last seven years? Uh, so I, 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 I think that people should coin join their KYC stack. I have coin joined my KYC stack. I think if you do coin join your KYC stack, it should still be separate from your non KYC stack. Just keep it separate, just in case you fuck something up. Uh, you might as well not commingle it, you know. Uh, but it's it's I think I, it's an important protest. It, it's it's a, it's an important thing to do because it could be a lot worse for Bitcoiners if we don't get ahead of it, right? I I, I think I I, I I I think that we need usage up sooner rather than later, and and on top of that, we're gonna have fees are gonna go up. And it's going to be prohibitively, it's going to get way more expensive for you to, because if, if you want to coin join effectively, you have to do multiple, you can't just, it's not just one and done, you know? So if fees go up, which is like in a lot of Bitcoiners bull thesis is that fees are going to be fucking astronomical. Uh, you're going to want to do it sooner rather than later. I, I don't think it's something that people should be um, like, I'll deal with it in five years type of thing. I think you just you try and you try and improve your situation now. Man, that's a long answer. That gets that's going to get people thinking. And um, I just want to clarify a few things for for newbies that that might be thinking, "What the hell are these guys talking about right now?" What you know, a quick nutshell: What is CoinJoin? CoinJoin. So, in the early days of Bitcoin, we had something called Bitcoin mixing, which was you would send your Bitcoin to a third party, custodial. Send your Bitcoin to a third party, they would send you someone else's Bitcoin. And then if you looked on the chain, there was no connection on the chain because you got different Bitcoin. They saw the Bitcoin go, you could see the Bitcoin go into the mixer and then different Bitcoin would get sent to you. This is pretty much illegal in most places now. Not necessarily... The usage actually isn't illegal in, in a lot of places, but running one is for sure. Uh, and yeah, and you have custodial risk. You're trusting that third party 
to actually send you other Bitcoin in return. You're sending them your Bitcoin. With CoinJoin, you are essentially doing a batched transaction with a group of people. I like calling them collaborative transactions, which I borrowed from the Samurai team. Uh, collaborative transactions. You're collaborating with a bunch of people and you're sending a single transaction, non-custodial. You're not giving up custody of your coins. And on the other side, a bunch of equal output coins that are all the same amount get sent to new addresses of everyone who collaborated in it. So Samurai is easy to follow. Samurai Wallet offers their Whirlpool CoinJoin uh, service. Um, so you have five, you have you have five people join around uh, with the same amount of Bitcoin each because it, everything needs to be equal so that it breaks it breaks the trail on chain. So let's say five people go in with a million sats. They send a group transaction where no one takes custody. Those, those five people, then you create five new addresses on the opposite side and they go to the five parties. So each person that goes in, instead of being one-to-one, you know, Matt sent Bitcoin here, so I can just follow the trail on the Bitcoin ledger, the blockchain. It's Matt went into one of these five directions. And then if you do an, what's cool about the Samurai Whirlpool implementation, their CoinJoin implementation, is it's usually made up of three people who have already CoinJoined and two new people. And the two new people are paying for the mining fees, the transaction fees for all five. So you have infinite repeat coin joins. So the first time you go through, it's one of five, right? But then you go through again and it increases exponentially. I think exponentially, I don't know, I'm not great at math. But it increases a lot, right? You can imagine like those five then go into another round. And the thing is, they randomize which round you go into. And the three people entering originally have already been in other rounds. So it so so you're you're the it's all tracking Bitcoin is all a probability game. Right? And and basically when you're looking at the ledger, you're making best guesses. You're saying 95% chance Matt sent this to himself, 95% chance Matt sent this output to Daniel, and this change goes back to him. When you, when you use CoinJoin, you can disrupt those probabilities. So they're like 10% chance Matt went in this direction you know, or that direction. And when you compound that by remixing, by doing multiple CoinJoin rounds in a row, it gets extremely murky. It's like very, very difficult to track unless you screw something up along the way. Um, and, and there's three main implementations. There's, there's Samurai Whirlpool, there's Join Market, and there's Wasabi. Um, they, they each have their different little trade-offs and there's different pitfalls you can make. So like it's, and in Bitcoin, all, all of these transactions are on the ledger forever. But it's, I think it's important for people, so if you make a mistake, like that mistake can haunt you in, like a, in, in a lot of years down the road. But I think it's important for people not to get overwhelmed here because if you don't use it, 
the status quo is you're getting tracked. The status quo is you're getting tracked. If you don't use Bitcoin, the status quo is you're getting tracked, unless you use cash, which we've agreed that is, is going away. So, so I think it's really important for Bitcoiners to realize that when it comes to personal, when it comes to Bitcoin, it's all about personal responsibility. And if you care about your privacy, you have to learn about it. You have to figure it out, and you have to put time and effort in. And you have to, you should do that now. You should not be like, I'll figure it out when everything's worth 10, 20x, 30x more, and the fees are way higher, and way more is at stake. And governments are way more active about trying to fight it. And like, it's, it's like, start thinking about it now. And I am because of you. And so thanks, man. Hats off. Um, you really got me thinking about it. And now I want to talk about, let's say in five years time, is there a two-tiered price market for, for coins, for KYC and non-KYC, because I think there's two sides to the argument. There's there's one side of the argument that are going to say KYC is going to be worth more because um, it's not going to come with that kind of tainted reputation that somebody was like trying to uh, wash it through. Like your example of uh, the Nordic countries, where you know if you go in and start using cash, you looked at a little bit weird, right? In five years' time, if you start trying to like transfer um, or use or spend bitcoins that have been through a coin join, are you going to be looked at weirdly? Or are you going to be looked at more favorably? And there's arguments for both sides. I think. Um, I just well, the argument. Be- there's a, Gladstein has the argument that if there's a black market, that the black market will be that the black market will cost more. Um, do you think there will be a black market? Do you think we're going to see no, some No, I actually, I, I, th- I think if we reach the point, and this is where I go back to my, my, my framing that you know it, it depends on what your outlook for Bitcoin is. If you if you mm-hmm. have a long term outlook, if you have the outlook that I have that if we don't have independent money, we're fucked as a as as a mm-hmm. society, as a global society. We're just fucked short term maybe, but when I talk when I say short term, I mean like 120 years. You know, like <laughs> uh when you look at it from that framing, I don't consider that a real risk. Because if I can't spend my Bitcoin because it has a coin join history, or because let's go down the rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. So I coin join and then mm-hmm. I open a lightning channel and then I send it here and then I send it there and then I close my lightning channel or I swap out and then maybe, you know, like you move into liquid or back out of liquid or whatever and then you can't spend your coins or, you know, like what, if, you, if, if that's the situation where like you walk into a deli because like, look, right, we're talking, it's supposed to be better money, right? We're going to, we're, we're supposed to be spending this money in the future, right? Some people are spending it today. Uh, it's still the number one currency in, in dark markets. Uh, if, if you can't spend that in the deli, like we failed, right? Like Bitcoin, what's the value in Bitcoin? If, 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 
Is it really sovereign money if you need if if you need basically permission to spend it? Like I don't I I could a decent enforcement happen? Maybe. But if it does, we have bigger problems than me spending my own stack. Than me being able to spend my Bitcoin is the least of my problems. My problems is that Bitcoin is in a really bad place. And then, you know, we, we need to, we need to, you know, fix that. Like that, that is, uh, if it's a short term time frame, if you're like, I just, I want to ride this pump and then I want to sell it back on Coinbase, then by all means, that's a real fear, right? In one year, two years, let's say we're at $100,000 and you want to sell on Coinbase and you coin joined, you might have trouble selling on Coinbase. Absolutely, 100%. But in 10 years, if you're trying to spend, buy a sandwich at the deli, you know, or like pay for your daughter's school or something, and, and they won't accept your Bitcoin because of the history of it, then we are in a really, really, really bad place as Bitcoin as a whole. And I, I, the last of my concerns is me being able to spend my personal, my personal stack. Like that is, we are, we are just, as a society, we are just in such a, such a bad position. Because like, where do you draw the line? Is it seven hops? What is it if I send it to myself over and over again? It gets super murky. Like what, is, it the, is the deli owner, is the school going to do, are they doing chain analysis on every single transaction? And they're going to run it through like a government blacklist that says it interacted with this thing. So now I'm not going to be able to accept it. Like we're screwed. That's such a bad situation. Like I, the last thing I'm, I'm worried about at that point is, is, is my own stack. So I, I'm not, I don't really think that's a realistic, if, if your frame is a, is a longer term time frame, I don't think that's really a realistic a fear about it. That's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's not worth, it's not worth worrying about. Cool. Excellent. Where do you think you'd be if Bitcoin wasn't here? Uh, I look, I was, you know, I was trying to explain this uh, to your daughter earlier, but I didn't know how to do it. So I just ignored it because uh, she asked, you know, how I fell into the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, and it was really for me, it was like a, it was a it was a double whammy. Actually, I guess it was a triple whammy. So I grew up with September 11th. Uh, and after September 11th, I fell completely, I was a young kid, fell completely into the government propaganda. You know, rah, rah, America, uh, freedom, best country on earth. We need to stop all these terrorists, you know, we'll implement the Patriot Act and we'll never get abused. We, we just need to stop the bad people, you know? And I was like fully on board with that. Then 2008 happened and I watched as like the rich people, powerful people did really well off after that aftermath. And pretty much the, the lower and middle basically never recovered. Uh, and it, 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 they, there was never really, they, they, stock markets hit all time highs, but those people weren't in the stock markets. You know, they weren't in real estate. Uh, you know, we had, yeah. So, so I saw, I witnessed that happen. Um, and then I had Snowden 
And then I found Bitcoin. So by the time I found Bitcoin, I had gone from like rah, rah America to the system is broken to, oh shit, the system is actively trying to like control Americans as well as everyone else on the planet. Like just horribly pessimistic, just ridiculously pessimistic. Uh, and just like overall Debbie Downer. I was just like very pessimistic and Bitcoin, it gives me hope. And, and not just Bitcoin, it's, it's free open source software in general. It's just this idea that um, code that can transcend borders, right? That, that empowers individuals. If we can empower individuals, then we can push back against this creep towards a few people pulling all the levers, having full control uh, with like mass surveillance and whatnot. So, so I'd, I would probably be in like a super, super dark place to be, to be honest. And uh, I mean, I see it with a lot. Look, look at what's going on in the world right now. I see it with so many people in my peer group that are, they, they feel like they have nothing to live for, you know, and it's a real shame. Uh, and I don't fully blame them because a lot of shit's fucked up. I have hope, but only because I've been exposed to this community and like the broader free open source community. Otherwise, uh, what's the way out without just lots of pain for a while? Yeah, I hear you, man. And it comes down to like, you know, fix the money, fix the world, which you guys, you know, like talk about so eloquently because look at the difference Finding sound money has has made to you and you know to Marty and to myself and to everybody else that's been exposed to that and and how it you know has shaped so many like huge fundamental decisions in our uh, like thinking patterns about the future and the decisions that we make now. Um, it's incredible. Like it's it's it sounds a bit cheesy, but it's it's mad, truly mad. You know what I think it is? It's it's a combination because it's it's not only an alternative to the broken system that we grew up in, but it's productive instead of destructive. Where like a lot of the other alternatives are all destructive. Let's tear down the existing system. I could give two shits about tearing down the existing system. Let's build let's let's build a better system parallel to it. And if people want to opt into that system, they can opt into that system. The current system will fail on its own. It's just, it's, it's just inevitable. That's how I see it going. So I just don't, there's, there's no need for me to have the destroy part in my brain because I'm just constantly on the build. Let's build the future. Let's improve, improve our alternative. Yeah, it's uh, brilliant to hear such um, positive views. Well, Matt, we, we have been shooting the shit for far longer than um, I was expecting. Um, is there anything else, is there anywhere else you wanted to take this this conversation um, before I uh, close out with my final question? Um, We've not talked about nodes, which yeah, by the way. Let's talk about nodes. Yeah, which, which, yeah, sorry, that just popped into my mind because uh, I've got all the pieces. I'm going to do a build out with uh, Bitcoin Q and A. Um, we hope to film it. Uh, I know you've done the same kind of thing. Um, I never, 
I think it, you know, there's so many touch points to Bitcoin and the journey and the rabbit holes and everywhere you find yourself is very, very overwhelming. I never fully understood, hands up, feel like a dick, but I never fully understood the importance of a node. So if you could really lay that out in a nice kind of uh, easy to understand manner, um, because I heard actually Trace when he was talking about it was actually with Marty. And for some reason, he just put the wind up me. For He was talking about like being a first-class citizen, a second-class citizen, a third-class citizen. And if you're not running a node, then you're not a first-class citizen. And it just all seemed like complete like anti-Bitcoiner kind of, well, what, what, we, we, we now have a caste system yeah, in the exactly. Bitcoin community. That, that doesn't make any fucking sense, man. Um, so that was not, that was my first touch point in a node and it didn't sit well. I'd like for you to make sure that you know you 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 help people understand in a, a really nice to understand manner why it's so important that people spin up their node. So when and back in the day, people used to say run a node. The important part is to use a node. So when you interact with the Bitcoin network, you interact with it through a node. Now, most people interact with it through someone else's node. The most common being Ledger and Trezor. If you use Ledger Live, if you use wallet.trezor.io, you are using their node to interact with the Bitcoin network. Now, historically, Trace and others have advocated for you to use your own node instead of someone else's node because nodes verify the rules of the network. Namely, the big one being the 21 million cap. So if you don't run your own node, you are trusting Ledger and Trezor and whoever other nodes you're, you're using, uh, any light wallet, right? Um, Green wallet, Samurai, if you don't run your own dojo, you're trusting their node to enforce those rules. Now that's kind of too meta. You know, other people are doing it. They'll probably throw a shit fit on Twitter. Does it really matter if they're if if I have my own node enforcing the rules of the network? Uh, it can matter on a localized basis, not the 21 million cap. If like Ledger's telling you you received Bitcoin, but you didn't actually receive Bitcoin, but like Ledger doesn't really have an incentive to lie to you about that. You can check a block explorer, a, a third party node, another node that's not your own node. Uh, like blockstream.info, and you check Blockstream's node, and you can check, you can put your address in. If it's there, then it, Ledger and Blockstream are probably not both conspiring to cheat you out of your own Bitcoin, just you. Um, so that's a more meta reason. Uh, and absolutely, it's an important reason. But my main reason for why people should use their own node is if you're using someone else's node, they have your IP address, they have every address of yours, past and future, and they have every balance and transaction you've ever made. They know all of your intimate Bitcoin details. So if you ever dream of having any kind of privacy when using Bitcoin, you need to use your own node. It's the first step. The first step is to use your own node, um, and that way you're not trusting someone else's node with all that private information. You can mitigate it a tiny bit, like if, if you only connect to Ledger Live using a VPN. Um, 
then they don't have your IP address at least. They can still combine all your transactions. Or if on Samurai, it defaults to Tor if you're in like client mode. Green Wallet, you can also use on Tor. So they don't have your IP address, but they can still, they still know this one user has these addresses. This is how much Bitcoin they have in the wallet. And these are all the transactions they make. So if you ever want like any kind of privacy with Bitcoin, you, you, have, you have to use your own node. Yeah. Well, are there any plug and play ones that you can recommend to people that, that might be a little bit kind of feared up by going and ordering all of the different parts? And uh, I mean, I've not built mine out yet. I must have like, I don't know, four or five different parts down there that I've, I've got to get into. Yeah, I, uh, I'm actually doing uh, a Raspi build right now as well. Are I, you? <laughs> I'm like obsessed. I just, I just keep, and I keep saying I'm going to do the guides, but it's summer, so I just, I never get around to doing the guides, and I just keep building notes. But anyway, um, pre-built, uh, I really like the Noddle, Noddle.it. Um, it also makes it really easy. It, it's plug and play into the samurai ecosystem. Um, so you can just you can run Dojo on there, and and not only can you scan your own, you just scan a QR code to connect from the app, the Samurai Wallet app, and then you're using your own node. Uh, and what's really cool about that is something I call Uncle Jim, which is your friends and family can use your node by just scanning that QR code. So that trust thing we just talked about, it's insanely better if instead you know you're trusting a good friend or family member with both validating the rules and your privacy than ledger or treasure right like that's infinitely better and it also supports electrum and all the other good stuff if you want to use it with your hardware wallet electrum is really good um my node also has a pre-built option that's pretty solid and raspi blitz also sells pre-built hardware um What's really cool is, besides Noddle, but MyNode and Raspi Blitz, they, they, they run on Raspis. It's a, it's a commoditized hardware. Um, so you could actually buy uh, a pre... So those are... The, the three big build-your-owns are Ronin Dojo, which is samurai-focused, uh, MyNode, and Raspi Blitz. They all, work on Raz, they all work on Raspis. And then Noddle uses different hardware. Um, so with those first three, you could buy a pre-built Raspi Blitz. And if you didn't really like it, you just take out the SD card, you put MyNote on it, and then you could run MyNote on that same hardware. You can put Ronin Dojo on it, you can run Ronin Dojo on the same hardware and vice versa. So it's really cool that you can just, you, you can switch them up. And if you're not using CoinJoin or Lightning, no funds are stored on the device. If you're just using it with the hardware wallet, there's you, you, there's nothing to back up. You just you just erase it, put on a new thing. There's a new one called Umbral that's coming out that I haven't tested yet. That's supposed to be super user friendly. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm getting into the weeds a lot here. I think if you don't want to deal with anything, you just buy a Noddle. You just buy a Noddle. Noddle.it. It's a little bit more expensive than the pre-built Raspi Blitz and the pre-built MyNode, but You'll get great customer service. I know the guys that run it. You know, the, the main guy, he's been in telecommunications for like 25 years, 30 years, like worked at all the big phone companies. 
Uh, like he like gets off on this shit. So he's paranoid for you. Obviously there's a, there's a trust element there. Uh, you know, he's building it for you. But I think it's a better trust element than if you're just gonna go with like a ledger or a treasure server or something like that. So there's trade-offs like all along the way. But even building it on your own, you're gonna see, it's not, it's not that difficult. It's, uh, the Raspies are specifically, the OS runs on the SD card. So whatever you put on that SD card, you turn it on, it's just gonna run what is ever on that SD card. So if you, if you fuck everything up, <laughs> you just erase the SD card, you put something new on the SD card, plug it in, turn it back on, and as far as the device is concerned, it's a new day. You know, it's just, there's like, there's no, it's really hard to, to, to do an error that just like kills you forever. Well, I'll, I'll let you into, and the listeners into the secret kind of thing that uh, Bitcoin Q&A and I were kind of hashing out together. It's like, you know, addressing this, addressing people's fear about building your own node. It's like, well, you know, I have all the pieces. We have Zoom. Um, obviously, he's just a robot. We, we don't know what he looks like. We only know what he sounds like. Could we film the build where Bitcoin Q&A talks Lauren through building the node? So that's the challenge. And if he can talk a nine-year-old through how to build a node from scratch using all the pieces that he had, um, you know, advised us to get, then I think that's going to go a long way to melting down people's barriers to entry and uh, and the fear around it. I love that. I, I I think I know for sure that if you did it once, that you could walk her through it in person. Right. I know for a fact that if you did it once, you could walk her through it in person. So um, I have faith that Bitcoin Q&A would be able to just, uh, or even yourself, like if we were to, uh, you know. Yeah, I think he should be able to, I think, I, I think <laughs> it's easier than people, uh, than, than people realize. And I also think it's, uh, look, it's, it's nice that you can put it all together from commodity parts from a trust perspective. Uh, specifically, like, you can't buy a noddle with cash in person, uh, but, mm. but, or not easily. You can do it at a conference. But you can buy a Raspi and an SSD and a case from, like, a local electronics store, right? So th there's, there's definitely an advantage there. But literally, it's just, it's pretty much plug and play even when you build it. It's, uh, it's not, um, that's not the hard part. The hard part is actually connecting up all the software and stuff with your wallet so that you're using it with your own node. Mm -hmm. um, and fortunately, that's become a lot easier. Uh, you know, on my note, it's, it's relatively easy. Noddle makes it very easy. Um, Raspberry Blitz makes it decently easy. I, I think easier than people think. Um, but that's really where the hurdle is right now. And, and what's cool is, is they're making it a lot easier. Like what, what they, people don't realize is if you're talking to OG and you say like, I want to run my own node, they're like, just install Bitcoin Core. If you just... If you just install the Bitcoin Core program on your computer, you are officially running a node. That's it. But 
Now you got to use that node with your wallets. You got to use it with your hardware wallet. You got to use it with your mobile wallets. Um, that's the hard part is the interface. And that's where these RASPI packages come into play and make it very as, as user-friendly as possible. And we've the improvement that has been made there over the last two years is insane, absolutely insane. And it's fantastic to see that we have so many projects working on it in parallel to each other. Because once again, you know, when you're talking about a system like Bitcoin, we don't want to have these like centralized gatekeepers. You want to have all the different options at your at your disposal and, and you don't want everyone using the same you don't want everyone using the same software package. Okay. Anywhere else you want to take this before I fire in a, a few last questions at you? No, I'm pretty much at a loss. I've really enjoyed this conversation though. It's been fantastic. Really appreciate it, man. Um, who have you had on the show that's left the most lasting impression on you for whatever reason? Like you and Marty have walked out after that interview and like, fuck, man. <laughs> like, um, so, I mean, like the best thing was before Marty moved out of the city, before Rona happened, we were just, they would always be in person, right? And we would have, uh, we, we, we the person would come into the studio and we'd sit down with them and, and then we'd get like dinner and drinks afterwards. It was like a whole experience in itself. It was fantastic. Just meeting these Bitcoiners from all over the place. Um, I think probably, it's so fucked. This is such a fucked up question to ask someone. Uh, <laughs> we had this episode with Arbed Out, who's probably Arbed about out. your age. Okay. And he, but he was in like all the VC circles. Like he was in the Fred Wilson circles before Bitcoin was invented. And so he, he, he witnessed, and then he became a Bitcoiner before the shitcoins really existed. And he witnessed the whole VC shitcoin thing from like the relative inside. And we got, we got drunk with him and it was like a three hour banger. You know, it was just, I, 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of gems in that episode and it was just even better. It was even better to do that in person. But I mean, one of the most, like when I wake up in the morning some days and I'm like, I should have just never removed my, I should have just been a quiet ass Bitcoiner who just like lurked. I, I remember all of the great people I've met. I've met so many, like count, like insane amount of good people in this space. Uh, and I'm just like, I'm super grateful for that. That's interesting. I've not heard that episode. So I'm going to go and find that. Oh my that. God, that you got to sounds... go listen to Arbed Out, A-R-B-E-D-O-U-T. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, follow him on Twitter at Arbed Out. I actually thought me. it was French and it was Arbedow. <laughs> <laughs> or like, like that's how I pronounced it and then when I met him in person he was like no it's arbed out and I was like oh that makes so much more sense which actually I'll circle back you you mentioned Jack Mallers earlier on talking about um, oh, Jack's great bi big money coming into the space right and this is what I 
I think this next bull run, this is what's going to blow off the top just so insanely quickly is because coming from the legacy financial world, I know Jack, um, I don't know his exact connection to, to trading, but he seems to understand trading very, like extremely well, especially for a very young man. Uh, you know, from from my background, I've seen I've seen what huge money can do to markets, and I don't think anyone's really kind of look. The moon's the limit, basically. When these guys come in, when they decide to come in, which moon? Right. <laughs> Not the moon of, I don't know, the moon of Mars, like whatever Jupiter's that might moon be. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Right? So Jack's family, like I think his grandfather was like a founding partner at the CME or something. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. Like they're like epic, they're like an epic trading family. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack is epic. I love Jack. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, meeting him is also an absolute highlight. Um, yeah, I, I I think people are largely discounting like how high we can go here. Um, and like when I, I don't know when you got into the space, but when I got into the space, like $10,000 was just, I just, people would say it, you know, $10,000 in four years, five years, but I was just like, you're full of shit. Like there's no, there, there's no chance, there's no chance that that happens in, in two years, like 2015, we were at like 150. And then at the end of 2017, we were touching 20 K and that's insane to me. I, if, if you asked me in, in December, 2015, like in two years, are we going to hit 10 K? I would have laughed you out of the fucking door. Um, so I don't try and make price predictions. Uh, I just like accept really vague ones. Like I think we'll go really high at some point. Um, but you know, no, no one knows. Like there, there, there's so much upside potential. And then the thing with these bull runs is, is people, you know, when 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 the run gets started, just everyone stops selling. Just no, everyone just holds on. So the supply just, it gets super liquid super quickly. And then the reverse is true. That's why we dump so hard. It's just because when people start selling, everyone sells. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It could, get, it could get absolutely crazy. And to me, it doesn't, I'm tr- trying to prepare myself for it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You just can't... Um, you just got to think long-term, just trying to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible and not let it get to you. But it, it's going to be difficult. This cycle, this cycle, I'm probably the only thing that's going to keep me remotely humble is that I repeated stay humble for the last two, three years. If I didn't do that, like I would just be fucked. I also, I also, I think it's really important to find someone, you know, who you truly love, who truly loves you, just get all touchy feely. Uh, if, if I didn't have my lady in the bull run in 2017, like I might not be alive right now. Like that might, I might've gotten, I might've went wild. Like I might've went really wild. Like she kept, she kept me humble. 
um, which is a very interesting thing is like when you look at just to digress a little bit, when you look at big corners versus shit corners um, in the 2017 run, like all the big mockers of Ethereum, they were having like booze cruises with like $2,000 ticket prices and you could win a Lambo if you won the lottery ticket and stuff, you know? And then like Bitcoiners are like, you should start a family. You should like own a house with some land, you know, and like start a family and like be like, be like centered and stuff. And I think that's like a really important mentality to have uh, because when you get, when you get money, like shit corrupts and you just, you lose sight of what's important. And you, you got to stay, you got to stay level-headed. You totally do. And I actually, um, go back and find an episode of mine. Sorry to shill. Um, but I, I had a, uh, a CBT therapist come on who is not a Bitcoiner, um, but a cognitive behavioral therapist to come on and talk about this exact thing, like the psychology behind, you know, if, if in a year's time, Dr. Sylvia Buett, her name, um, what happens in a year's time to these people that have gone from very ordinary to all of a sudden to, to weird, to use a weird term of phrase, like uncomfortably wealthy, um, where is that going to put them psychologically and what are the mental steps that they need to put in place to, to help them, to help guide them through those, those weird times because, People think they get there and that's that, right? Um, brilliant. Yeah. I've got everything I need now. Bam. Depression. Right. So it's interesting. All right. I'm going to hit you with the last question. Unless you've got anything else to add. <laughs> no, that was, a, that was a good one. I, you know, it's something I don't you know, really think about. I try not to think about. If you had one last red pill to give, to give to someone, who would you give it to? And why? Just get them onto Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different directions I can go with this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I would just, this is just phoning it in. I would, I would just get Trump on 100%. Just like get him on. I, I, has nothing to do with whether or not I agree with his politics or not. I think he'll be there for another four years. Uh, so you, you get him on board, which I think he's actually already on board. So I'm not, that's why I was conflicted whether or not I was going to waste my red pill on him, but to get him fully full tilt, uh, accelerationist switching to a Bitcoin standard, you know, lacks regulation on it and just, turn America for the next four years into like a, like a Bitcoin safe haven and just simultaneously just like pump a shit ton of legitimacy into, into Bitcoin. Um, that would probably give us enough space for even if people tried to attack Bitcoin, strong actors try to attack Bitcoin after he was out of office, we'd probably be good. Give us another like four years in let alone give us another four years and just honeymoon period and we should be good. But give us another four years in like, you know, Trump is like Pierre Richard in the white house, 
you know, like that, that would just be, Bitcoin would be unstoppable. There'd be no, like it would be, there'd be no, there'd be no holding us back at that point. At the same time, like he can go fuck himself. I hope, you know, I hope he doesn't have any Bitcoin, but I think he does. And, and <laughs> it would benefit, I think it would benefit the world overall if, if, if he got red pilled. It would certainly make America great again. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, if you want to make America great again, probably the best option is to just print a shit ton of money while we're still the global reserve currency and just buy Bitcoin with it. You just do that. Don't buy stocks. Don't buy shitty corporate debt. Don't buy all this other shit. Just buy the Bitcoin while it's cheap right now. And while you can print it, while you can print cash, because right now we print dollars, but we don't feel the inflation at home first. It's a delayed effect. It really hits all the other countries first. Every other country because we're the reserve currency, is essentially paying for our inflation in the beginning. Long term, it'll, it'll fuck us, but not if we buy up a shit ton of Bitcoin. So you just print and buy Bitcoin. Like that could actually, that, you know, that could cement America for another 100 years. But it would definitely benefit Bitcoin, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Universal Bitcoin income? Universal. Well, you can never make that work. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But it, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know how that would work, but yeah, I think you just red pill. Who would you red pill? <sighs> Only one person. You can't ever red pill another person after that, right? Hmm. You see, I, I go the. I've said this before with Knut von Holm, and I still stand by it, uh, because you know I look at the, the demographic, and I want the, you know that the. Um, Gen Z, is that right? Like the, those those kids behind millennials? Yeah, the Zoomers. Right. They're the guys that, um, you know, that the can is getting kicked down the road again and it's getting kicked onto their generation. Um, right. You know, the next round of debt and all of this kind of bullshit. Um, it's been so crippling for millennials uh, to even try and, you know, make their way in the world, get on the debt. Uh, sorry, excuse me, get on the property ladder, get out of um, college debt. And that's just going to, it's just, it's just going to happen all over again for the Gen Z. So I'm, I would, I, I come at it from this kind of angle. It's like, right, I've got four kids. I got two daughters, like uh, 12 and 14. And I think, right, who do they really, really, really respect? And you've got all these influencers and that's all kind of like, by the by, I don't want a Kim Kardashian or someone like that. But <laughs> Someone like Greta that can have such a global reach from the age of 16 down and millions and millions of people, if you could get her just to come out and just say, guys, like the answer to climate change is Bitcoin. The answer to, right, the, the answer to to debt is Bitcoin. The answer to like, uh, you know, mental health is Bitcoin. The answer to diabetes and obesity and chronic disease is Bitcoin. Then I think that'd just be fucking awesome. That's a good answer. Just, just for the reason that it would be hilarious to see Bitcoin Twitter squirm because they're so anti Greta Mm -hmm. that it'd be, but they, always just like completely swarm any celebrity who gets red pilled on Bitcoin. It'd be interesting to see how they deal with that 
that that dichotomy in their head. Like when it happened, it would just be fun to it'd be fun to watch unfold. But I like that. That's a, that's a good idea. That that might be better than my answer. Well, there's there's no wrong answer really at the end of the day, right? It's um... well, I think we're onto the same. It's like if you can only red pill one person, you want to red pill someone who ultimately red pills a shit ton of people or in my case, I mean, just opens the floodgates for Bitcoin to like flourish for like, if we have, you know, I, I think like inadvertently Trump has been fantastic for Bitcoin over the last four years because everyone's so distracted with so much other shit that Bitcoin's just kind of existing, you know? And that's like, like, we just need, we just like what Bitcoin needs is just some space to just grow and just not get attacked for like a little bit longer. I think we might have already passed that point, but just the longer we get, like like the better it is. Uh, you know, we if if four years ago we got someone into office who was super in bed with banks and knew how to regulate everything to fucking death, like as Bitcoiners, we'd be in such a worse place right now. So. Well, the future's bright, Matt. I think we both agree Cheers. on that one. It's um, It's been so great to have you on. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for spending. My God, we've been going for almost two and a half hours, man, and that doesn't even, re- you know, we, we were riffing pre-record with Lauren as well. So that's a huge amount of your day. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for everything you do with, with Marty as well. Um, long may it last and uh yeah here's to the moon man cheers truly my pleasure and i look forward to meeting you in person at some point in the future hey guys thanks for listening i'm sure you were um as interested by everything Matt had to say as I was, there is so much to to unpack from that. Um, I'll be going back and listening to this one over and over, I think, um, for many months to come. Uh, I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> again, just uh, really appreciative for Matt to have spent so much time for coming on the show and sharing everything that he did and giving us all of those insights and um, trying to set us on the right path um, he gets to you. He really does. Whether you've listened to him on his own podcast with Marty or on other guests' podcasts, uh, other podcasters as a guest, excuse me. Every time he brings something up, you just, mm, you're like, yeah, yeah. I need to be doing a little bit more of that and looking into a little bit more of what that means and a little bit closer at this and it's challenging because you know it's more work we we as bitcoiners we we think uh right okay we've cracked this we understand that the money system is broken fix the money fix the world taking self-sovereignty start stacking some sats start you know accruing a little bit of bitcoin but then all of a sudden that's not the end of the journey that's just the beginning and then there are so many other things to start learning about and it can be a little bit daunting well, no it can be very daunting uh, and i'm sure we've all experienced that um you know on to just just basic thing like a node like running a node 
and having Matt explain why that is so important. But not just running a node, using your own node. That's another level of, uh, of understanding what's going on and how that, by doing that, you are protecting, you're helping to protect the network. You are, you know, slowly but surely, every time we plug in a new node or build one of these new nodes and start interacting with it and using it, the, the whole system of Bitcoin, the whole protocol, the whole blockchain is becoming that little bit more decentralized. And the more decentralized it is, the harder it is for, for anyone to ever even consider attacking it. Um, so, you know, let's let's keep doing that. The coin join and the whirlpool, you know, I, I never really fully understood exactly what uh, what that means and what it's going to look like in uh, a few years time is there going to be a two-tiered market is there going to be uh, you know a non-kyc uh, know your customer by the way for the acronym if people are wondering what kyc is um are they, is there going to be different prices for non-kyc coins to kyc coins and will that change will kyc be you know, less sought after or more sought after. Um, you know, these are things, these are conversations that got to happen. Uh, and he's very much on point with everything he's saying. And, you know, pushing pushing us all to to, to keep going, to keep learning. Um, you know, this thing's never, never going to stop, this journey. And uh, having people like Matt sharing his, uh, his insights is very, very important. And the fact that he made that personal decision to come out, um, <laughs> to come out, uh, to, to, to go public with who he is and uh, share all of this, you know, that was a brave, huge decision. There's still ways on him. And that's, that's very uh, commendable, I think, in, in what he's doing. Uh, you know, it's a, a big step for him. But to have touched so many people's lives has got to be worth it. So uh, I hope that um, that goes some some way to sitting better uh, with him personally after making that huge personal decision. Um, I'll wrap it up there. Uh, lots to talk about. Carry on the conversation on Twitter. If uh, if you enjoy the show, you know, make sure you reply. Uh, throw any questions out on the bottom of the thread that I put uh, out with each episode. I'm sure Matt would be more than willing to to answer anything that you've got or shill any companies that he he might have missed here when we were talking through these things. Um, so it's great to interact with uh, with all of you on Twitter. Thanks for reaching out. Don't forget before we sign off. Go start stacking some sats. If you're in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. And if you're in the US, swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. And if you're not in one of those two countries, uh, thank you to everyone that's listening from around the world. Um, you will have most likely a DCA service in the country that you are living. So head over to at Has. He has been on the show. He's the DCA absolute expert. He has a full list of different countries, different services, Bitcoin-only services, where you can go start stacking some sats in um, you know, a relatively 
uh, low cost and, and risk-free way. So go check out the Friar and um, you can always go and listen to his interview that I uh, had with him uh, a few months back. Well, guys, I'll leave it there. Thanks again for listening. This was a really long one. Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Have a great uh, morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And I'll see you on the Twitters. Bye.